Cool. So my name's Jacob. Um, could we, I can't even see you guys. One second. The lights are going to turn on. I know it. But part of the staff team here at City Light U. Um, there we go. Super excited to be sharing tonight. If you were here last week, you know that we're in the book of Galatians. Um, we're going through this book this semester. We're learning that there's no other gospel. And John did a really good job last week of, of preaching the word, teaching us from Galatians 1. Um, and helping us realize that the gospel is the good news of God's grace. That the gospel is not grace plus something else, but that Jesus is enough to save. And this is the gospel that Paul preaches. And tonight, we're going to look at why we can believe that gospel, why we can trust that the gospel Paul preaches is true. And we're going to do that from Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24. So I'm going to read it. Um, We kind of started this last week. Would you guys stand with me as we read the Word of God? We're going to be starting in Galatians 1, verse 10, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. It says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia, and again, I was, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love to speak to us through it, and I pray that tonight you would do just that. Father, would you encourage us, would you challenge us, and would you just simply speak to us by your spirit? We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And if you're taking notes, the title of this message is You Can't Make This Stuff Up. You can't make this stuff up. Have you ever been in a situation where something happens and it, you realize like at the end of it, it happened so perfectly that you could not have like written the story any better? Um, or something crazy happens and you can look to your friends afterwards and be like, man, you can't make this stuff up. For me... Um, When I think of that phrase, I think of one story specifically. It was about a month into my time in Guatemala, and it was a national holiday, so we all had the day off. There was no school, um, no work, nothing. And so we decided that it would be a good idea to go hike a volcano that um, was near our place that we lived. So we got a crew together, and we hiked this volcano. We can show the first picture. It's the, the tall, pointy thing. Um, and so as you can tell, it's, it's pretty tall. Those succulents were just in the way of the picture, but they're kind of cool too. So we, it's, it's 12,375 feet tall. 
steep at the top, and it was rainy season, but we still thought like it would be a good idea to hike this volcano. I mean, we had the whole day off to do it. So we got dropped off at the bottom of the volcano, and we began to start climbing. Um, and thankfully, there were a few guys that came with us that had climbed the volcano before. They knew the way, and they said that they were going to serve as our, as our guides. Um, and they said it should be about a three-hour climb to the top. So we started out on the right path because there was only one path to start out on. And we got to what we could call like base camp and got a group photo. We're feeling good. We're ready to do this thing. But then we had a decision of where to go next because there was multiple paths um, that were supposed to lead us to the top. The problem was the guys who had made this climb before were not in agreement about which path to take. And this made me nervous because I'm of the belief that if we're going to climb a volcano, like we want to know the way that leads us to the top. And we want to avoid, go to the second picture. We want to avoid its sister volcano that at times decides to do that. We didn't want to be on the wrong side of the volcano, have the wind blow and um, smoke us out. So we started to talk. These guys started to discuss. And unfortunately, we ended up taking the wrong path. Um, the friend that was supposed to know where to go, they, again, disagreed. And so right before we started on this path, I asked one of them, I was like, shouldn't we make sure that we choose the right path before we take it because we don't want to get lost? And um, the dude goes, don't worry, bro, you're with me. I know the way. This was my friend Paco. And we started on Paco's way. We believed him, and we climbed and climbed for over an hour until we came to a literal dead end. It was a fence that said, you cannot pass. It's not safe to go past here because we were heading to the wrong side of the volcano. So we followed this route, the route that he claimed to know, and it brought us to where we didn't want to go. So then we took the same path down, found ourselves at the same base camp, went up the other path, and it eventually got us to the top. This adventure that was supposed to take three hours up and two hours to get back down took us more than seven hours because we had taken a path that we didn't want to go. When the day was done, I remember like sitting there and thinking about what Paco told me. Don't worry, dude, you're with me. I know the way. But following him led us to the wrong path, and I thought, you can't make this stuff up. But as I thought about the text for tonight, God brought that story to mind, because, and I feel like it illustrates so well what was happening with the Galatian church. Because the Galatians started on the right path. They started by believing the gospel. They started by believing that faith in Jesus was enough to make them right with God, to save them from their sins. This was the gospel that Paul preached to them. In Acts 13, we read what he spoke to the Galatians in Pisidian Antioch. And I want to read it. He said, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This was the path that the Galatians should have stayed on. That faith in Jesus is enough. That faith in Jesus frees them from everything in the law of Moses that bound them. But unfortunately, people came in after Paul shared this message, and they began to tell the people that faith in Jesus was not enough. They told the, the Gentile Christians that in order to be a part of the family of God, you did need to trust Jesus, but you also needed to fulfill some of the works of the Jewish law. So you could say that these 
new Christians and the Jewish false teachers were meeting at base camp. We're trying to decide which path to take, and the, the Christians were being led by these Jews on a path that would take them where they didn't want to go. It was a false gospel. See, the Galatians had started well. They had trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone, but that good start did not just guarantee automatically a good finish. And it's for that reason that Paul writes this book, the book of Galatians. His purpose is to correct them, to rescue them from, from the wrong path and to bring them back to the right and the true path. Just like there was only one path that led us safely to the top of the volcano, there's only one path that leads us safely to heaven. There's only one path that leads us to the Father, and that path has a name, and his name is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so that's the gospel that Paul's contending for, the good news of Jesus. And how he's going to do that today is by showing us his story. He's going to share his story with us. He's going to tell us why he can be trusted, why the gospel that he preaches is true, unlike the false gospel that is being spread by these Jewish teachers. And the question I believe our text is answering tonight is this. Why can we trust the gospel that we received from Paul? And I want to share three reasons from the text that this gospel can be trusted. The first reason we find from verses 10 through 12. Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the first reason that we can trust the gospel we received from Paul is because Paul's gospel is from Jesus. Paul's message is from Jesus. He didn't make this gospel up. And this reality has big implications for us because if Paul's message is from Jesus himself, then that automatically qualifies Paul as an apostle of Jesus Christ. See, by definition, an apostle was someone who had encountered the risen Jesus. So because Paul here tells us that he received the gospel through a revelation of Jesus himself, that qualifies him as an apostle of Christ. And that's quite important that Paul was an apostle because in order to have a book written by you in the New Testament, one of the prerequisites for that was to be an apostle to be one who saw the risen Lord. So Paul fits that requirement. His message came from an encounter with the risen Jesus, and as a result, his message is valid. He had no reason to back down from the truth of the gospel he preached because he knew that it was just that. It was truth, and it was from Jesus. See, when Paul left the area of Galatia where he preached, um, not only did the Jewish leaders come in and say that the message Paul preached was incomplete, they also started to attack Paul as a person. In fact, in Acts chapter 14, it tells us, tells us that the Jews poisoned the mind of the Gentiles against the brothers. They poisoned the mind of the Gentiles against Paul. Don't you know who this guy is? Like, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He used to hunt you Christians down, and now you think like he's going to preach to you the truth? We don't care about him. He doesn't care about you. He's just going to leave you in a few weeks. Paul's just a fake. They spread these lies about Paul, but the attack did not stop Paul. Instead, he preached all the more boldly for one reason. The message he preached wasn't his own. Paul's message was from Jesus himself. 
See, Paul didn't have to be validated by people. He didn't have to be praised as a great communicator or thought highly of because he was a great preacher. See, the message, the messenger does not need to be validated by the message. The messenger, excuse me, I said that wrong. The messenger doesn't need to validate the message. Instead, Paul was validated as a messenger because of the message he preached, because his message was from Jesus himself. See, the source of his message, the source of his gospel is what validated Paul's message and validated him as a messenger. You could say that Paul was not fearful of what man said about him because he knew what God said about him. And as a result, he spoke this gospel with great power. And Paul makes that clear in verse 10 of what we read when he says that he's not seeking man's approval, but he's seeking the approval of God. And I wonder, can the same be said about you and about me? What's the driving motivation behind what we do, how we act, what we say? Are we seeking to please man, to be thought highly of by people, or are we seeking to bring honor and glory to Jesus? I remember when I started to to pray about leaving the normal college I was going to and and to go to a two-year Bible college for a season, um, I felt like it was what God was leading me to do, but I also feared what people would say. I feared that People would say I'm making a bad decision, that I'm, I'm throwing away some potential, that I had to be a successful business person. And those fears came true. People did speak badly of me for a season. They said that, that what I was doing was wrong. I remember overhearing a conversation of, of a loved one that they were talking about this decision, and they said it was a, quote, terrible decision for me to make to go to this Bible college. And what I learned in that season is that people's opinions don't really matter. By God's grace, he allowed me to take that step because he told me to, and his approval was all that mattered in the end. See, the great news for us tonight is this. We're never going to be able to please everyone. We're just not. People-pleasing is an endless pursuit. It's a path that, that leads nowhere but never ends. It's a snare. Proverbs says it. It says, The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. See, if we're in Christ, if our faith is in Jesus, we need to understand that we are already pleasing to God. We cannot please everyone, but we're already pleasing to the only one whose opinion matters. We cannot please everyone, but we're already pleasing to the only one whose opinion matters. How is that possible? Because the Bible teaches us that when we place our faith in Jesus, we're made righteous. We're dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. We're hidden in Christ. And what that means is that when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us. Instead, he sees his son, Jesus, and he sees us hidden in him. So why is God pleased with us? Because we're hidden in Christ and because God is always pleased with his son. So to let you, the, the application section, so to speak, of Galatians doesn't come until the end of the book, but there's application for us tonight. And an application from this point is that like Paul, when we speak the word of God into our lives and into the lives of others, we can do so with boldness. We can do so with power because we're not standing on our own authority. We're not speaking our own words. Instead, we're sharing the words of God himself. We're sharing the truth that we've received from Jesus. See, because Paul's message is from Jesus, because he's not trying to please man, 
we can trust the gospel that he preaches. That the only way that we can be made right with God is by his grace and by trusting in his son. And because that message is true, we can speak it with boldness. And now Paul's going to show us why we can know that message is true. Because anyone can claim that they've encountered Jesus, but we want to know why we can trust this message. And Paul's going to show us that by sharing the story of how he met Jesus. Look at verses 13 to 21. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. So the second reason we can trust the gospel we received from Paul is because Paul is the last person you would expect to preach the gospel. In other words, Paul has a story that you cannot make up. And that's what he's communicating with us tonight. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you probably know Paul's story. You've probably heard it over and over again. He was a man who who persecuted the church, who was completely against Christians. He wanted to destroy the church, and then he had a radical encounter with Jesus, and everything changed. And if I'm being honest, this is a story that I have heard a lot, and it can get old to me. But this week, as I was preparing this message, two things stood out to me, and I want to share those with you because I feel like they add um, like a value They had insight, if you will, into the validity of the message Paul's preaching. And the first is Paul's background. We see from verse 14 that that Paul was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his own age. He says he was so extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers. And this stuck out to me because if there was anyone who you would think would, would be so ready to advocate for the need to keep the Jewish law, it would be Paul. Paul loved the law. He loved the traditions of his fathers. That was his life. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In fact, he said that if anyone could be made right by keeping the law, it would be him. So he should have been a top advocate for keeping the Jewish laws. And yet, what is Paul warning against in Galatians? He's warning the Christians against adding works of the law to faith in Christ to be justified. He says that if we add the law to faith in Christ, then we've lost Christ completely. He's telling the church that in order to be made right with God, the equation would look like this. Jesus plus anything ruins everything. I heard that one day and it stuck with me so much. Jesus plus anything ruins everything in terms of salvation. See, Paul's upbringing in the law, his love for the law, makes his rejection of Jesus plus works of the law as a means to righteousness even more meaningful and it validates the message that he's preaching the second thing that stuck out to me reading his story is the incredible grace of god paul was literally on his way to persecute christians when he became a christian do you realize that 
We read in the book of Acts that Paul was breathing out murderous threats against the church. And then in a moment, Jesus met him. Paul was doing nothing to draw near to God. In fact, he was doing the opposite. And yet God, in his grace, revealed himself to Paul and everything changed. It was a story that was written by God. It's a story that you cannot make up. And what we learn from that story is that Jesus is better at saving than we are at sinning. We believe that God can save us. We see that Jesus can save anyone at any time, and he can use them for his purposes and for his glory. See, Jesus was not scared of Paul's sin. He did not shy away from the sinner. Rather, he drew near to him. Jesus saved Paul when Paul was on his way to destroy Jesus' church. And that's God's amazing grace. And then it gets better. God doesn't just save Paul, but then we see in verse 16 that God was pleased to reveal his son to me, he says, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. See, God's work in Paul's life did not stop the moment he was saved. Instead, his conversion was just the beginning. Jesus saved Paul, and then immediately he gave him this mission to preach Jesus among the Gentiles. Do you guys ever wonder... Like, why the moment we place our faith in Jesus, we're not just automatically taken to heaven? And maybe that seems like a weird idea or something that um, doesn't make sense, but I feel like that's what, it's a question that our testimonies can beg at times. Let me illustrate this. One of my kind of biggest pet peeves, if you will, is when I hear someone share their testimony, and it sounds something like, I, I grew up in a terrible situation, got addicted to drugs at the age of 10, and then became an alcoholic and have been an alcoholic my whole life and slept with all these people. Let me tell you about all these people. And they just go on and on and on about their sin. And then they close the testimony by saying, and then I trusted Jesus. And it just ends. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's bad to share the realities of our life before Christ. It's good to celebrate what God has rescued us from. But what I am saying is that if our testimonies end the moment we place our faith in Jesus, then there is something wrong. See, because that should just be the beginning of our story. Jesus saves us so that he can change us from the inside out. He saves us so that we can then represent him to a watching world so that we can be used by him. See, as a believer, you are Christ's ambassador in your school, in your workplace, in wherever you live. You're there, and you're meant to represent the God of the universe wherever you're at. See, just like the story God wrote with Paul did not end at conversion, the story that God is writing in each and every one of our lives should not end at conversion either. We have a mission here on the earth. In the body of Christ, I have a role and so do you. And you guys remember that if you were here on New Year's Eve, I hope. But it's true. We have a role in this body. And I want to share one application point here as well, and it's this. Don't let your past keep you from being used by God in the present. Don't let your past keep you from being used by God in the present. If you were to look at Paul's resume before he became a Christian, if he was like applying for this job to be used by God, we'd reject his application immediately. We'd see like, oh, he tried to destroy the church, okay? He imprisoned Christians, okay? He approved of stoning Christians, and immediately we would say, there's no way. He's the most unqualified guy to be used by God. And that's who God chose. So if you feel 
unqualified today, you need to know that if your faith is in Jesus, then the Spirit of God is living in you, and the Spirit of God living in you is what qualifies you to be able to be used by God. No matter how dark your past is, no matter what you've been through, no matter what's been said about you, you're not outside the reach of God's saving grace, and you're not outside of his ability to use you. Jesus saved you. He welcomed you into his family. He made you a part of his body, not so that you could just sit on the sidelines, but so that he could use you and so that you could represent him well to a watching world. Just like Paul's message was confirmed by his story, may the message that we share of the gospel of Jesus be confirmed by our story. May people look at our lives and see the truth of the message we preach, that God loves using broken people to preach the truth of what his son Jesus did. So let's continue to read about about Paul's story, about what he says with what God is doing in his life. After talking about his time in the wilderness and in Jerusalem, he summarizes his story in verses 22 to 24, and I love how he closes it. He says, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So we can trust the gospel that we received from Paul because Paul's message is from Jesus, because Paul's the last person that we would think could preach the gospel. And finally, because Paul's story brings glory to God. And this is one of the main litmus tests for any message that we hear in our lives. Who does the message magnify? Who does the story glorify? And we see a contrast here between Paul and his message and the Jews and their message. See, the Jews who were promoting the works of the law were doing so because they wanted to be able to say that they had something to do with their righteousness. Galatians 6.12, Paul describes these people and he says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So the people who are promoting this law are doing so because they want to to be able to say that they had something to do with their righteousness. They want to bring at least a little bit of glory to themselves, essentially saying, Jesus is good. He died for my sins, but I would not be where I am in my walk with God if I didn't get circumcised, if I didn't keep some of the works of the law, wanting to add to the work of Jesus. And can't we do the same thing? If we're not careful, we can start to think that because our quiet time lasts 45 minutes instead of 15 minutes, then we are all of a sudden more holy than other Christians, or that our righteousness is greater than others because we wouldn't dare go into a place if they serve alcohol. And what we're doing when we're thinking that way is we're puffing ourselves up. We're trying to get at least a little bit of glory for where we're at in our walks with God. But that's not how it should be. See, when we are saved, we are saved not because we were awesome or because we had some great potential. Rather, we were saved because God knew that if he saved us, we would be a trophy of his grace. He knew that he would get glory from rescuing our lives. See, the true gospel, it magnifies God's grace and not man's achievement. The true gospel magnifies God's grace and not man's achievement. 
And we know that the gospel that Paul is sharing is the true gospel because it does just that. It magnifies God's grace and God's grace alone. God gets the glory for the story he wrote in Paul's life. Paul can honestly say that when people heard his story, they glorified God because of me. Could what is said of Paul be said of you and of me? See, it's not about us. We cannot add to the perfection of Jesus. We cannot become more holy in our own effort. We cannot get into a better standing with God by, by acting more holy in 2018. But guess what? We don't have to. And that's good news for us. And I wonder, is that the gospel that you believe? Do you believe the gospel that Paul first shared with the Galatians in Acts 13? I want to read it again. He said, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Is that the gospel we believe? Are you on the path that that leads to heaven? Are you on the path that leads to the top of the volcano, if you will? Or are you drifting into a self-righteous mindset? that would would say, yeah, Jesus is good, but I need to add my righteousness to his. Starting to add to Jesus' work by our performance. Are you starting to, to go on a path that leads to a dead end sign? Remember, starting on a right path does not automatically guarantee that you'll finish on the right path. And that's why Paul's writing this letter in such a passionate way, because he believes that life and death, heaven and hell are in the balance. There's one path that leads to life. There's one path that leads to heaven, and it's Jesus. You enter this path through faith in Jesus. You stay on this path through faith in Jesus, and you end this path through faith in Jesus. And it's God's grace that keeps us there the whole time. So if you've strayed from this path, you need to know that it's not too late to turn around. It's not too late to get back on the right path, to get on the path that leads to life. If you'll acknowledge that you left that path, that you've drifted into some false gospel, and if you'll ask Jesus to forgive you, and you'll place your faith in him and him alone, he will welcome you back to that path with open arms. He wants to use your story to bring him the glory. That's God's grace. It's unexplainable. It's scandalous, and yet it's available to each and every one of us. The gospel is truth. And we know that this gospel is true because it comes from Jesus, because it saves the worst sinner, and because it brings glory to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your gospel. We thank you, Jesus, that you lived and you died and you rose for us to save us, God. We, we thank you that you saved the worst sinner, that no one's outside the reach of your grace. Father, I pray for each and every person in here, God, no matter where we're at, may we know tonight, God, that you are enough, that you paid for our sins, that your righteousness is, is on us if our faith is in you, and we cannot add to your work with our performance. God, we thank you for for calling Paul and for using him to, to share your truth and to minister to us some 2,000 years later. We pray, God, that we would be used by you as we understand your gospel and share the truth of who you are. 
Jesus' name, amen.